Welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise our old work and discuss writing-related topics. I'm DC McNaughton, speculative and historical fiction writer. Uh, I'm currently working on historical fiction. I, uh, I'm right now. I'm in the throes of of the submission process with my agent. I just got another rejection today, so I'm just gonna keep my keep my head up and uh, keep. Uh, Keep uh, writing my historical fiction rough draft, which really sucks right now. So, <laughs> yay! Yeah, I'm not reading anything right now. I'm gonna be reading a lot soon, though. I'm gonna take a whole week just to so say you are in the weeds of it right now. So, <laughs> I am. I can't think about writing yeah. right now. Um, I'm Amy Avery. I write adult fantasy. I also self-publish under the pen name Avery Ames. Um, what I am working on is I am also trying to remember how how write book how 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 write book how yeah do you, how make book go you right <laughs> I am currently working on <laughs> outlining because apparently one of the things that you do once you like get really into the d- depths of the like agenting process is you start to send synopsises before you finish the book and that's not <laughs> that's not part of my usual process so i'm trying to sort out what the synopsis is uh and all the plot wrinkles and stuff so that's my fun thing and i am currently reading the god of endings by jacqueline holland which is kind of a literary vampire story it's very like melancholy and like a lot of thoughts about like the impermanence of life and being it's it's very very good i sound like i'm being like me i sound like i'm being snobby about it but i'm actually really really digging it nice so today we're going to be talking about unreliable narrators do's and don'ts our favorites our least favorites what they are all that fun jazz and this is our usual reminder that writing is not all about rules when we're writing we sometimes need to break them as well we're both firm believers that if the rules feel too suffocating or well or, or overwhelming Ignore them, fuck them, and just write. <laughs> fuck them! Fuck those rules! <laughs> so, um, we usually have a paired drink. Um, we were both kind of panicking about this one. <laughs> um, yes, we were. It's like 20 minutes before the podcast, and we're like, we don't know what we're doing. I had this idea, because we're talking about unreliable narrators, which are narrators that present one thing, but they're really another. Or they say something happened one way, but it really happened the other. So I had this idea of making a drink that looks like one thing, but it's actually another thing. And I have to kind of do a real quick assembly off screen here uh, because I committed to the bit. So I have, for those who are looking on the live stream, we're going to try to do this without spilling because I hate these glasses. We have what looks like a dirty martini, <laughs> but it's actually a daiquiri. But I did actually put like the stick of olives in it. So I'm hoping that doesn't flavor the daiquiri too much because daiquiri is just rum and lime and sugar. And I don't think Olive's going to go very it's well with beautiful. that. <laughs> but it looks like a classic dirty martini. Uh, we're going to see what it tastes like while, while you tell me about yours. Oh, I knew I was going to spill. I just spilled. Uh, so this is kind of funny. You're going to you're going to fucking laugh because I was like, well, I don't I'm too lazy to make a dirty martini. So I have the greatest unreliable narrator there is. I found this at Walmart. It's a Sunny Delight vodka seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first saw this, I was like, I don't know if Sunny D knows how to make vodka. But let me tell you what, the book's pretty good because it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good seltzer. Unreliable narrator, though. We don't know why Sunny Delight's making vodka <laughs> seltzers. 
but they it's because we're old enough to drink yeah, now because the people who grew up with sunny d are now like <laughs> ooh, sunny d with booze also geez, okay there's a reason i'm very <laughs> i never use this actual martini glass because i just spilled everywhere and now everything is sticky and it's gross Same. Um, so, <laughs> okay all right great all right so into the topic okay Okay, so what is an unreliable narrator? I kind of went over it when I was talking about the drink. Is it's when the narrator of the story is telling you the story and you start to get the feeling that that's not how it actually happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I, yes. I I mean, I have spent like two years writing a book with an unreliable narrator, so I love them. I love it. you know, I feel like I like a book a lot more when there's an unreliable narrator. I love a good unreliable narrator, which is kind of going to be our first topic of conversation, I think, is what what for us makes it a good unreliable narrator and what for us makes it a bad unreliable narrator. <laughs> and are we going to start with the good or the bad? Let's start off on a let's start off on a high point and then devolve into like the ranting. Devolve into ranting, yes. Devolve into ranting. That's that's true podcast form. For me, the good is when it feels authentic, which is kind of a mm-hmm. vague term. <laughs> but when I feel like this is a real person <laughs> who is either really lying to me, which this helps if there's like a frame narrative, like they're telling the story to someone else, because then you're like, ah, now I know why they had a reason to lie. Or as if it's like you inside the character's head, you're like, why are they lying to like the omniscient nothing? Right. So yeah, I think if it feels real, whether it's intentional or unintentional on their part is when I like it. But like I said, that's kind of vague and hard to quantify. So maybe you'll be able to to give some more details yes. on that. <laughs> yes. But before I do, though, I do want to say that it doesn't have to be a liar to be an unreliable no. narrator. I did just, I, I did, I, I wanted to mention it just so none of our listeners think that we only think there's one kind, yeah. but like I just finished a book that has like literally an unreliable narrator who's simply unreliable because he's so, he is, um, what's the word? Yeah. He can't always trust his own memories and recollections to be authentic. Yeah. So so that can also work. Um, and I really like it. Um, I, I like the one you mentioned where they feel real. That's a, that's a yes. I also like it when they can fool me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think specifically of um, Oh, Gone mm-hmm. Girl. And God, she really fucking fooled <laughs> me. Like, you know, like, you know, I, I love that. I love being mm-hmm. like, Oh, you got me. <laughs> damn you you lied and you got away with it too i hate that for me and i think that's that's the the key with that sort of like unreliable narrator where you don't realize it's unreliable until later in the story is the you want to feel like the ah you got me versus the like where did that Mm -hmm. come from because that's the bad for me is when you weren't given any clues yeah but if there were clues and then later you you only later realize they were clues, that's when it can be really good. Because like I said, like Gone Girl, you get yeah. to a point where you're like, oh, this recontextualizes everything that came before it, but it fits, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, it absolutely does. I, I, I just, 
Yeah, I, I, wow, I just lost my fucking train oh, no. of thought. It just choo chooed right Bye. by my fucking choo-choo. eyes. Bye, train. See ya, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing like one that can fool me. And there's nothing like one, too, where like, I feel like I've read a couple where like, I will know the narrator is unreliable and I will be trying to figure out what he's being unreliable about at the same time. So like you have to be careful with those for me though, because I feel like I like a subtle unreliable narrator rather than the, this is in your face. This is going to be a liar, a cheater or whatever, because you don't want it to be too unreal. I feel like if somebody is obviously an unreliable narrator, something, you know, it's not going to come across as realistic like you mentioned, but I think you can do it. Yeah, later on, I'll go into, like, a case of, like, a situation where it can be more exaggerated and still work. But that involves, like, a whole other side tangent that we will get to later. (laughs) I look forward to hearing about that part. Because I am curious as to what you have to say. But I'd say that that's the most important part for me, is just being able to be fooled. Something, I like a smart one. I like them dumb, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, there there are different types because yeah. there is like the more serious type, which is like the Gone Girl, um, and you kind of have like a little bit more comedic type sometimes, and that one usually is the a character telling a story and you know they're lying out their ass the whole time, and it's kind then it can be kind yeah. of funny, um, but then it's kind of an everybody it's almost a farcical, um, and one of the examples yeah. of this that I was going to bring up is a video game. That's one of my favorite examples from the very beginning. You get this clue and it's Dragon Age 2. And the whole story is kind of framed by one of the members of the character, main character's party is like later being interrogated about, well, what happened with that main character? And he starts the story. And at the beginning of the story, the main character has a sister who's there. They're all adults. So she's an adult sister. And at the very beginning of the story, he starts telling the, the, the interrogator what happened and they flash back and the character, the sister has like enormous boobs, like with this really low cut top and like everything's super out of like you're starting to play it and you're like super OP, you're overpowered, you're like fighting all the enemies, everybody's like a badass. And then the interrogator goes, wait, 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 wait. That's not really how it happened. And the narrator has to go, okay, here's how it really happened. And then you start the tutorial kind of like back into it with like more, you know, the types of powers and abilities and leveling you would have at that point the sister's boobs have gone down to a normal size (laughs) so from the very beginning it's like you're playing it and you're like this doesn't feel right and then it's lampshaded that yes he was lying the whole time and it comes in a couple other times in the stories where he's telling a story and you start going this doesn't feel right and then it gets pulled out and he's like okay no this is really how it happened (laughs) so that one's can be one of the ones where it's kind of over the top and everybody knows it's not you're not being fooled, but it's for comedic purposes. So that's a little bit of a different situation. Yeah, I feel like I've seen uh, I think it's like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They did an episode where everybody has their own version of a mm-hmm. story. And then you see all the versions and they're all unreliable because you, you still don't know what the real thing that happened is at the end. You're just like so busy dying and trying to breathe because you've been laughing for <laughs> a half hour. It barely even matters at that point. That does kind of segue into the thing I was like, we'll talk about that later. 
Um, there is a type of unreliable narrator story that specifically it's called the Rashomon effect or Rashomon style or Rashomon effect. And it's from, uh, there's a very, very old movie. I should have looked up the year, but it's like black and white, very old movie. It's an Akira Kurosawa movie called Rashomon. And it's about a crime that happened. Um, a man ended up dead and they're doing the trial. And at the trial, they interrogate each person and each person has a different set of like how it happened. And that's called the Rashomon stories when you see the story from multiple perspectives and each one is different. And that's what the Always Sunny episode is doing. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it actually had a yeah, name. There's actually a name for that. It's very common in like crime interrogation trial stories because you've got usual suspects is like that. Knives Out kind of the first half is like that where they're kind of talking to everybody and you'll notice like where everybody's standing changes. Interesting. When they start telling the story because they they... Whoever's telling the story is standing next to the guy at the birthday party when he's cutting his cake. Like, I'm the favorite. And it's just really subtle that that changes in every story along some of the other details. I love that. I love that. Oh, man, maybe I should write a book like this. I know. I was, I've been, I've been watching this show. I actually just started it yesterday and then binged the first three episodes. And it's on Apple TV, Apple Plus. And it's called The After Party, and it's about a murder that happens at a high school reunion after party. And they interrogate each suspect, and they each tell their story of what happened. But each one's a different genre. So, like, the first guy, it's a rom-com because he's trying to reconnect with his lost love. (laughs) The second one is an action movie because of the guy who thinks he's, like, a badass. And, like, the third one is the theater, theater music guy, and it's a musical. And so you're getting, like, their side of events in these different genres, but you're also getting like interactions where people talk and the conversation shifts slightly depending on who's telling the story to make them look better. And you're left going, okay, well, what really happened in that conversation? Because, you know, one person left out these lines and another person didn't. And so that's actually kind of another way to do unreliable narrators that can be more over the top and extreme because you're doing it from a broader perspective it's almost like an omniscient perspective that's going into multiple limited perspectives that makes sense it it absolutely makes sense and i love it yeah it also (laughs) shows up a lot in um shows like how i met your mother where it's like a framing device of telling the story back uh because there's a lot of times in that Mm -hmm. show where it comes up where the main character ted is telling the story and somebody's like no that's not how it happened let me tell you how it happened (laughs) you can do that either comedic or serious um because, yeah, like, for example, in Rashomon, it's very serious. Uh, and in stuff like The Usual Suspects, technically Gone Girl is a Rashomon effect, even though it's it's not very many perspectives. I think you only get the two. I think you only get hers and his. Do you think it is? I think so. Because it kind of starts with one and then you get the other. I guess. I guess I feel like, I guess... I don't know. This probably isn't for this episode, <laughs> but I guess because one person thinks that they're like telling like the current story of what's really going on and the other person actually knows the truth. Mm -hmm. So I feel like only one of them is unreliable. That is true. Because one actually kind of has their head on straight and they are kind of telling you exactly what's going on in their life, trying to get you to figure it out with them. Whereas the girl is like, (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to give you all the wrong information because I know it actually happened. I'm going to try to cover my ass. Well, I was going to say, I actually, you're, I think you're correct. But I also don't know if for it to be a Rashomon style story, if they all need to be wrong. There might, you know, it might still be a Rashomon effect story if one of them is telling the truth. (laughs) 
It's Fair. just different Fair. perspectives. I, I see you. I see so, you. Yeah. I was trying to think of. I, I thought we maybe we're moving on to the bad ones now. Yeah, I was going to say we can go. So. Uh, yeah, we can go on to the bad ones. We're kind of meandering kind of all over my notes here. So we'll just. Yeah, that's we'll just fine. Meandering. I'm also fine with meandering. We'll just kind of take it loosey-goosey. Let's yeah, meander. Off script. <laughs> off script. I've now drink enough of my daiquiri that I'm not spilling it everywhere. Yay. Yay. So bad ones. What makes it bad for you? <laughs> for me, um, kind of just the opposite of what makes it good. Like, um, if, if it's too obvious for me, like if it's trying too hard to be an unreliable narrator, like if the author went in thinking themselves, I'm going to write an unreliable narrator. And it's like to the point where the character is like unlikable for, for me, the reader. Um, because I like an unreliable narrator to be smart enough that they can kind of cover their own tracks enough that I don't pick up on it super fast. Or if I do pick up on it, it's really subtle. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot for me to like a really loud one, mm -hmm. like someone who's just really loudly unreliable. Um, which I believe I actually wrote a pretty loudly unreliable narrator like two years ago, because I think by page one, you're like this guy, I can't, I can't trust him. <laughs> like, you know? Um, well, and I think like you said there, that also one of the factors to bring in is whether the character is outright lying or if they're unreliable for other reasons. Um, because yeah, your right. character isn't like just blabbing lies all the time. It's like, a, I don't trust my own memories. Um, which kind of like reminds me of something like Memento. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Memento yeah. where it's like, he's unreliable, but he kind of doesn't know he's unreliable. And then he starts to suspect yeah, he is, but I yeah, it's heard. his. So it's a little bit different. I think someone told me to actually use that as a cop at one point. They're like, he's Memento. I don't remember who. It might've been me. <laughs> it might've been. <laughs> so yeah, I think the reasons why they're unreliable is a factor in whether I like it or not. And I also think that the other thing that I don't like, oh my gosh, there goes my train again. Why don't you tell me what you don't like? Nella? What I was going to say was the biggest one for me is I have the two. And the one is the one I already mentioned where I feel like we weren't given enough information or clues. And then it comes out of nowhere. The other one is if we're in a very close like first person perspective or an extremely like close limited third person perspective where you're inside that character's head and they're telling lies and there's not a reason for it for there's no reason that they would be if they actually have a misheld belief and they would be lying to themselves great that adds to the realism but if not i feel like they're lying to me and especially the trick that <laughs> we've brought up before and you get a pass because of the way your character is using it to handle trauma but it is the character who's like you're in their thoughts and they're and this is kind of you can do this for multiple reasons but when you're in their thoughts and they're like oh i can wait i shouldn't think about that right now it's a way to keep the reader information from the reader <laughs> that the character knows and sometimes you can right. really see the author's hand being like Oh, oh, wait, I'm going to reveal this later. I don't want to tell you yet. <laughs> yeah. It's when it feels like it's yeah. adversarial between me and the author. That's my big pet peeve. Yeah, you don't. If it feels like the author and I are working together and we're like, oh, we're on this journey together. It's a weird, wild ride. Yeah. But if it feels like they're like, nah, 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 I got one over on you. Then I get like, really? 
<laughs> yeah, any kind of character, whether it's unreliable mm-hmm. or not, that fucking teasing shit is rude as hell. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Just pisses people off. Um, the one I was thinking of though is I really don't like it when they're inconsistent. Oh yeah. Um, this happens a lot, especially with like amateur writers and stuff who are still learning. Like, um, they will take a narrator who is unreliable and has a certain part of their personality that makes them tick and makes you tick because you're reading their story, and then all of a sudden you will want the reader to get a certain piece of information or you'll want another character to get a certain piece of information. And so you'll slip your author's hand in there and like, let their personality change for just, just long enough to get it out. And it's just like, no, once they're (laughs) unreliable, they have to be unreliable the entire time. I remember editing my unreliable narrator and having to, get that out because I was doing it every once in a while just to fill in cracks in the book Mm -hmm. and trying to like get the storyline going. And I was like, no, how do I do this without changing the character? Because it is really hard sometimes if you've got one character whose mission is to, you know, do this thing or be this way. And then all of a sudden they have to be another way just to come out of their shell a little bit or come out of their unreliableness a little bit just to give the reader or another character some information. It just doesn't work. You really have to keep them the way they are the entire time. And I think that is something that sometimes does come with later draft revision finesse. Um, Cause you're never going to get like all of those moments right on the first swing. <laughs> right. I mean, you might, I don't want to say never there's a chance, but you're very unlikely. <laughs> right. Yeah. An image just popped into my head of despicable me with a guy with all the minions <laughs> and thinking about how the equivalent of that is to like for Disney to have only given him one minion because they wanted him to hoard minions, but they didn't want to render all the minions. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like my ADHD intrusive thought for the day. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you, whatever. <laughs> you got to render the minions. That's good. You got to render them all. Gotta be unreliable in a hoarder of minions the entire movie. Because if he's not hoarding minions, it's not the character. That's gonna be like my slogan now. Whenever there's a writer that's trying to take shortcuts, it's like, no man, no man, you gotta render all the minions. <laughs> you gotta render them all. You gotta commit. <laughs> Before I forget, I had a little train of thought that I don't want to leave as well that I think might have just left. Damn it. Oh, no, hmm. I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, one of the things that's kind of like a like-don't-like situation is one of the keys of the unreliable narrator is I think once the audience has clocked on to the fact that it's unreliable narr- narrator, whether that's earlier or later, I think there needs to be a way for them to make a reasonable guess at what really happened. Whether that's ever confirmed or not, the framework of the story has to be solid enough and they know the character. That's part of that, like, feels real verisimilitude of it. Is like, if they're telling me something, you can be like, they probably weren't that suave in that situation. And so you can kind of guess what the reality is versus what they're, what you're being told as the reader. Mm-hmm. And same thing with whether they know they're unreliable or not. You can be like, ah, well, their own anxieties are getting in their way and they think that this is happening, but really it's probably just this. And like I said, whether you don't, the author never needs to confirm that to me, but it helps me to have find my footing with the unreliable right. narrator to be like, yeah. this is what the real story probably is. 
and this is what I'm being told. And that creates kind of an interesting like interplay of conflict and tension that can be really yeah intriguing as a reader. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think on that note, I just like an unreliable narrator who I know is unreliable by like, I don't know, midway through the mm-hmm. book at, at the very least. I like to find out before the book is over, mm-hmm. like since we're kind of on that topic, like because I feel like if I find out when the book is over, then I have no space to think about it. But like if I find out like midway through, I'm kind of like, OK, how are you like, how do you sleep at night? And like I start, you know, like <laughs> you know, watching him closer or watching her closer. And that for me is fun, too. And I think there's some people who would disagree. I think there's some people who would really like a book that they didn't know the entire time. But I actually I personally like to know at some point so that I can like. I don't know go on the journey with them as you say i think it's been a while since i've read the book but it's been out long enough now that the statute of limitations has passed and also i may be wrong because it's been a very long time since i read it but if i remember correctly the lead character in the thief by megan wayland turner book turns out to be unreliable and you've got like a few clues throughout that something that they may be hiding something but you don't really get like the full story until almost the very end. I think it's kind of an ending climax plot twist. And like another one that's that's another popular one that people will have seen is The Usual Suspects, where you get the like full realization at the very end. It's like the ending twist of like, here's right. how they were unreliable. Um, but that works because that is like the the twist of the movie. That's kind of the the thesis statement of the movie. So if your twist is going to be like, they were unreliable all along, A, it needs to be like, that's the point. <laughs> and then <laughs> B, you're, you're going to have to go do a lot of passes on that because that's, that's an execution thing that is going to need like a lot of finesse. And it's not impossible, but you're going to have to work at it. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, the reveal at the end stands a higher risk of leaving the reader feeling like one was pulled over on them and not in the good way without even agency yeah like just feeling like you had no choice like you know whether or not to believe them through the whole book and you're just like well shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) well shit. i think my favorites are when i start to suspect it at some point but it takes me a little while to clock that's what's really going on where you start to go feels a bit off but it feels intentionally <laughs> off it doesn't feel like a mistake and then you start going well now things aren't adding up but why aren't they adding up because i can tell the author's doing it on purpose and then like as it comes to light more i like those ones where it's like the slow creeping realization mm-hmm. which isn't the only way i like it but that's one of the ones yeah so we kind of talked about like our, our do's our don'ts our goods our bads kind of like as a reader and some tips, but one of the big things that I think can really affect it the most is your tense and your point of view and really come into how you tell these stories. So I kind of wanted to just talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how that affects it. Yeah. I know personally for me, like when I was working on my book, I ended up doing it in first present because I really liked the idea of him sort of living his life and the reader sort of seeing more of his life than he was um like it it let them in real time 
be there with him as he was experiencing things that he didn't fully understand, but made the reader did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely like, like that with the first present tense. Um, But that's not to say that first present tense is the only way to do it, because I think first tense in general works really well for unreliable narrators because it is so personal. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever read an unreliable narrator that was third person. I think first person works better if the unreliable narrator really believes their own lies or is uncertain, as was in your case. I think if they're like straight up telling a bullshit story and they know it, first person is harder. If you're trying to like trickle that information to the reader so in those cases i would suspect third person um i'm trying to remember because i have a few other examples that i kind of like googled here um and the only other two book examples i have listed which are also movies but they were books first are life of pi and fight club i have not actually read either of those books what pov intents they're in i've read life of pi do you remember what um life of pi is first past okay is it told with a framing device or is it told like yeah it it is but you don't realize it is until the end like it's weird like you can tell by the way he's telling the story from the very beginning that he's talking to somebody Mm -hmm. um but you you kind of learn who that person is at the very end if I remember right, I, I've read Life of Pi like three times. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm right about this. Like, he's, he's telling somebody about his childhood. Like, and you can kind of feel that he's telling somebody about his childhood mm-hmm. because there's no way that a person would just be saying this to nobody. And then at the end, he definitely is. He's like talking to somebody who came to interview him to find out about his travels while he was on the boat out at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I'm so glad you brought Life of Pi up because it is such a good one because there's like no, I don't know that the author has ever confirmed or denied that the people on the boat with him were animals, but he definitely deeply implies at the end that the animals, that the tiger that was on the boat with him may have been an actual person, um, but it's never like confirmed or denied. And like, that was one of my, that's why I've read it three times. Cause like, I love trying to peel apart, like whether or not the tiger is an actual tiger. And there's so many things that make him very tiger like, but also very human. So it's really, really cool book to read because I feel like it's not confirmed. Like I could be wrong. That was actually another topic that I had meant to discuss and I forgot to talk about, which is, do you ever confirm whether they're unreliable or not? And I think that will very much depend on your genre and the type of book you're wanting to tell because Life mm-hmm. Pie is very literary. Yeah. It very much falls in that vein. So they they want you to, to be ruminating these questions. And if they confirm it, yeah. then you can kind of like for lack of a better metaphor, like close the book on that in your brain more. Whereas if it's mm-hmm. left open, this kind of goes back to our open endings episode a little bit because it makes you think it makes you keep thinking about it mm-hmm. and going back and like picking apart yeah. the rest of the book. And if that's what you, you want them to do, then maybe not ever yeah. confirming whether they're unreliable or not is just, just drop in some like hints yeah. that could be interpreted either way. And then let, yeah. let the Reddit threads begin. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's really funny with the life of Pi specifically. I had that one as a comp from my book that I had written. And when mm-hmm. I had people look at my comp, like my comps, they were like, you can't use life as Pi as a comp. There's no, there's no similarities here whatsoever. And I'm like, Oh, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, 
you didn't pick that up. Like you didn't actually pick that up. Like, so like it's an enjoyable book by all, but not everyone notices it. And I, I have, mm-hmm. a, I, I want to hope that someone out there who listens to this episode eventually goes like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> people? Really? Like, <laughs> and then goes and reads the book. <laughs> I feel like the, if I'm remembering right, the movie does a better job of quote unquote better, um, better job of showing that it could have been people because I think the the character says some things that imply that it was people, mm. but the book doesn't do that. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's, you know, I say quote unquote better because some people like me, I like the book one more because I like that it doesn't necessarily tell me. Yeah. I, I can like that sometimes because yeah, you're like, like you said, it just makes you think, think about it. Mm-hmm. I just had another yeah. Completely, this is going to be all over the place. Uh, thing I don't like with unreliable narrators. This kind of goes into the you weren't given the clues, but on like a bigger scale, which is the retcon unreliable narrator, where you like the one I'm thinking of is the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice, which is the first book is all Louis' story, and he is telling the story to the interviewer. And in it, like, Lestat is not a good guy. He's an asshole. He's, <laughs> he is there for messy drama, and he is there to start messy drama. He's and an asshole. He is an asshole. And then, but you could also kind of tell that Lestat was Anne Rice's favorite character in the book, which, hey, fair. I've got asshole characters that are my favorites, too. But because he was, like, her favorite character, the second book, when the vampire Lestat comes out, it's like his perspective. And he's like, no, Louis was wrong all along. And I'm like, yes, the first book was a frame story. It was Louis telling the story in his own words, and he could have been unreliable. But we were not given any clues that he was unreliable until the second book came out. And it was like, wait, 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 tell, let me tell you my story. And that is the Rashomon thing. But you really get the vibe that the author just changed her mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is that just a few clues might have been better. And you get those a little bit in the new TV show, Interview with a Vampire, because it is Mm. Louis telling the story. Um, The TV show is framed as like he gave the original interview and this is years later and he goes, finds the same interview and is like, okay, I really want to clear the air. I wasn't 100% straight with you the first time. And there's points where the interviewer is like, these parts of your story don't add up. And Louis's like, yes, they do. Just, just don't pay attention to that. Let's move on. Yes, they do. <laughs> and so you start to get the idea that maybe there are two sides to this story in that version. But in the first book, it really was not lampshaded very well until the second book came out. And then it was like, no, 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 no. Lestat's, Lestat's fine. He's like, he's, he's the misunderstood <laughs> guy all along. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, he's still flamboyant asshole who loves messy drama. Uh-huh. But it was an attempt to make him likable all of a sudden. And I was like, he wasn't really that likable the first time around. And I feel like you're just course correcting instead of laying out that groundwork for a proper unreliable narrator, Rashomon story where we get both perspectives. Um, right. And that's one of the things that just comes down to the execution. It comes down to the finesse of it. And that's something you're going to hit in revisions. Execution is a big, big one. Like it, you really have to uh-huh. go into it with intent like that that i think is the most important if you are writing one you have to have intent um one book that i think everybody at least knows a little bit about 
if they haven't read it, and this is a very is a character and a writer with a lot of intent was uh, Lolita. Mm. What's the author's name? Nabokov. Nabokov. Uh, yep, yep. And Nabokov, he wrote this character who only becomes like he's very intelligent and he comes across as very intelligent because of his vocabulary. He comes across as like a gentleman because of his vocabulary, but yet he's telling you through the entire story that these like girls are like coming on to him, like little girls. So, you know, and the reader's like, no, I don't think so, buddy. I think you've got like kind of a skewed, skewed uh, version of reality in your head. That's not quite so right. And, but the intention is there. Like you can see the author intentionally letting him say things to the reader that are absolutely bonkers. And he's because he's like, I want to create a character that the readers are going to follow because they want to know every bonkers thing that he has to say. And at the end, they're going to want something terrible to happen to him. Like, and that was the intent. So I Mm -hmm. think that when you go into it, thinking about all the intent behind these other novels of this sort is probably a really good way to go because intent is key. I think with Lolita, it's conveyed through like, the dissonance of you going, this doesn't seem like what would really happen here. And like, there's never anybody else. <laughs> like, if I remember correctly, there's nobody like calling out and going, ah, but you're in, as the reader going, this isn't adding up. This isn't how people would yeah. really behave. And so that's yeah. when you start to kind of clock it. Um, but I did have, we have got about 20 minutes left and I just realized I have a, craft side of this discussion that i do want to talk about which is for sure if you've got unreliable narrators that you don't want to be lampshaded as unreliable at the very beginning you want it to be like a slow realization or a twist or whatever how do you handle dealing with your beta readers because if you have the same beta readers they're gonna know by like if you have a beta reader (laughs) the reason's like i caught the twist like way too early you're like well shit so then you go and revise but you kind of got to get new beta readers who don't already know the twist. I think the answer to this is going to lie, first of all, in our finding beta readers uh, section. And then this one, because the thing is, is the way that I do it is I have my first beta readers and I have my second beta readers. (laughs) Like I do not spill the beans to everybody all at once. Like it's really hard to hang on to your stuff when you finish it and it's finally readable and you're like, Oh yes, I can finally let people read this. But Try to, if you have an unreliable narrator or like a really tricky plot or something that's like a whodunit even, like give it to half your betas and then give it to the other half after you get feedback from the first half. Because you don't want to negate an entire pool of betas from being able to say, yes, this worked because you've messed up the first time. And it is worth like strategizing how many betas in the first round and in the second round are the kind of people who are more likely to poke holes in that sort of thing. Because I had a mystery plot and I will not make this mistake if I do a book with a mystery plot again, because I have a beta reader who's very like adept at mysteries and reads a lot of mysteries Mm -hmm. is one of those readers who's always trying to like solve the mystery. I'm not that reader. I read a mystery and I'm just like, la 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 la. Oh, there's a clue. La 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 la. Oh, that's, who did it uh but there are people who are like analyzing and i have a friend who's like that i let her read my book too early and then she was just like here's all the problems in your mystery plot but they were also problems that people who were not as 
Adept and Mystery had also caught because they were very clunky. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, now you know who did it, so I can't use you for round two after I've finessed <laughs> some of the stuff, which I still did. She still read it. She was still very helpful and was like, this is where I probably wouldn't have clocked it. But it can be helpful to know, like in the mm-hmm. first round, have some people who are really good at mysteries and some people who are not. So you get kind of like an idea of the spread, but save some of those yep. people on each category for the second round as well. And same thing yep, with like exactly. unreliable narrators. Because the unreliable narrator is like a subset of a mystery. It's its own little mm-hmm. mystery that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Yeah. But but also some people might be able to read it twice. Like Yeah. And mine did. Yeah, because like the life of Pi, for instance, I read it once and then I immediately read it again. And like <laughs> I still was unsure. Like, you know, like it. You it, it depends on the person, I think, but usually I split them up. I split them up because I want one group to at least read one that's not as bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had to hunt down more beta readers uh, after I had done the rewrite with my agent because I needed people. Because one of the big things was we really overhauled that mystery plot to make it just make more sense, like work better together. Yeah. And so I had to hunt down a few new readers who I'm like, I need someone who has completely fresh eyes on this story. And I need you to tell me if you figure out who did it. <laughs> and that's fair. But see, for instance, you could have done the same thing with me because I've already forgotten. The <laughs> you know, like it's been like two years since you read it. I, You know, I'm very forgetful. I know, but like, dude, I forget the people who did my stuff in my own book. Like, I had to reread one of the books that I had, like, was recently rewriting, and I was like, I don't remember who's in charge of any of this. Like, you know, but yeah, you don't want to wait two years to give it to another beta reader. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I'm, I'm thinking for a minute because I don't know if I'm done with this. Yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess on a craft level, like, if you're going to go into this, like, as far as planning, um, I would say, like, my tips to you are to really have your character's personality planned out. Mm-hmm. Like, really make sure you know them as well as you can. I know sometimes that doesn't happen in the first draft. Don't beat yourself up if your, like, third draft looks entirely different than your first draft. Because, like, I ended up having to rework my character that I was working on several times. And by the end of the book, like at the end of me writing that book for the six or seven times I did, like he had new friends that didn't exist. He had friends that disappeared because like I needed to set it up so that he was in a space where he could have this and no one was going to stop him from having it, (laughs) you know? So I didn't have to like author's hand, anything, things like that. So like really make sure that you sort of, it's the intent. I just want to, home in on the intent Mm -hmm. issue because I also make sure your book needs an unreliable narrator. Cause if you're writing a book that is, it doesn't really need one, but you want to write an unreliable narrator, like, yeah, consider it. Cause I think that's a whole other discussion one could have is like, what sort of books might not do so well with an unreliable narrator? Like for instance, I would have a hard time reading like a a, a romance mm-hmm. with an unreliable narrator, but I know it can be done. Probably it's just, do you want it to be like, make sure you're putting your unreliable narrator in a space. That's really gonna um, blossom their, their personality traits, because if you put them in the wrong setting, it's just not going to work. I think that goes back to, yeah, figuring out why you want an unreliable narrator and what that's going to do for 
the book's theme, the book's storytelling, the book's concept and vibe. And yeah, really think, do, do they need it or do I just want to write one? And if you do just want to write one and it's not good for that story, you can just push that to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. As you do. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. what I did with my morally great protagonist. She didn't fit in my last book and now she's going into my next book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, like sometimes if you have a dark character and the setting is also super dark, sometimes it also doesn't work with that. Mm -hmm. Like you have to find a balance. Cause I remember having a character who had been through a lot and was very mentally unwell. And then I had kind of surrounded him in a dystopia. So for the reader, it was really hard to read a very dystopic society that wasn't working. Plus a guy who really had it rough. Mm -hmm. Like it was really exhausting for the reader. Cause it was two negatives you know, and so what I ended up having to do was write something that was almost utopic in a way with its flaws and then sticking him inside of it because he he was well taken care of. People loved him, things like that. So balance it out mm -hmm. so that it's fun, because if you don't balance it out, then you're going to have an unreliable narrator and an unreliable setting and an unreliable plot and it's just not gonna you want something to be stable mm -hmm. in your book so that the unreliable narrator shines i guess yeah yeah you yes. want them all to work together we have somebody okay. saying how are y'all doing in the chat so hi if you're not a bot we better get all the pictures of the google images out and have yes. you find all the bicycles <laughs> so we can be sure you're real how many crosswalks are in this photo I happen to think that an unreliable narrator, narrator robot would be awesome, especially if he didn't know he was a robot and the reader did know he was a robot. There's got to be one, right? There's got to be one out there. That sounds like some real Asimov shit. Oh, Blade Runner. There we go. I was close. <laughs> Fucking Blade Runner, of course. Like, is that really Blade Runner? Does that happen? Blade Runner is, is, if I remember correctly, Blade Runner is a, like, he might be a robot, he might not be. We just, we don't, just don't know. know. So I wasn't I wasn't too far off when I was talking about, you know, Asimov, Philip K. Dick, that whole genre of stuff. Yeah. And that's another one. It's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Is the um, Total Recall. Have you ever seen? Oh, my gosh. That's that's I, the, is he. I've heard of it. The book. The story goes way off the rails. It's very different. But then the movie, it's left more unreliable, open ended. Was it all a lie? Was it not? Uh, the book does some weird things where, like, it proves that, no, he was not unreliable, and it gets real weird with, like, tiny aliens that actually come and land and all this stuff. If I'm, if I'm remembering the right story, it goes way <laughs> off the rails because that's sci-fi of the era. But yeah, in the movie, that one is a very, like, could be unreliable, could not be. It's the do I trust my own memories genre of unreliable. So Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, if you want unreliable and robots, just go look at old sci-fi. <laughs> all those old short stories. <laughs> yeah. When when all the sci-fi authors were getting paid by the word and just just yeeting off all of the short stories to everyone they could. <laughs> okay, well, do you have any final thoughts? We're hitting our time frame here. Nah, I think I think I managed it. Good. I got some crazy heartburn from the sunny no. day or maybe I'm eyeballing. Maybe it's all the buffalo sauce that I <laughs> ate before I came. That, that might also do it. Our next live stream will be on May 12th on describing character appearances. We will have a sample once more. We're going back to my old writing samples. 
Is it somebody looking in a mirror? No. Oh. No, but it is like the main character describing the love interest for the first time. So we may edit it. We may just go through it and be like, this is why this is bad. <laughs> but we'll see. But there will be a sample. <laughs> I was like, because, good. Because I was like, I got one of a character looking in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I think it's more egregious when it is like a, char- a story that has a romance and it's the main character describing the love interest the first time. It can be very, very oh, egregious. Yeah, in- yeah. Especially in my yeah. my early stuff, so. That one will be fun. Anyways, um, you can find everything about the podcast that you need at anditswriting.com. Look us up on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere else you listen. New episodes drop on Mondays, the audio episodes. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at anditswriting for episode updates and notifications. And we'd love it if you left us a rating or review wherever you are listening to this. Um, it does help the algorithm and help other people find us. Thank you for joining us and we will see you again soon. Bye.